podcast about what it's like to try and make friends in your 30s and we also talk about what we're reading what we're listening to and what we're watching as well i'm sasha kelly i'm a melbourne-based podcast producer and i'm joined by my co-host laurel laurel what is your last name (laughs) the look of absolute panic and fear (laughs) in your face is that because well, my last name is Henning. I'm it's Henning. Henning. It's right in front of but me. Your... Oh my goodness. Okay, so I was going to ask, in your phone, am I like Laurel, Lucia's friend? Because in my phone, you are Sasha, Lucia's friend. And I have done started this thing in my phone book where everyone is how I know them. So I've got like Lucy Book Club. I, like I, I think it's just because I don't often refer to you as... Well, because aside from Lucia, we don't have any other mutual friends. So I never am talking to someone and go, oh, you know, Laurel, Laurel Henning. It's always just, oh, my friend Laurel or my friend I do the podcast with. Like I never qualify you with your last name. Um, I'm just so embarrassed. It's literally written on the screen in front of me because I have our text message conversation up on my computer. But you know what? I'm just going to go with it because forgetting last names is a very 30s thing to do. It's a sign that you're getting older. (laughs) Here we are. Sasha Kelly, Laurel Henning bringing you three wheeling my windows may be rattling a little bit I have to tell you because I feel like we're having a bit of that we've got that windy cool change coming in after a warm day and I can hear everything rattling so if that's coming through I apologize and I will try and get rid of it as much as possible in the edit (laughs) look I think um we've just been having a conversation off mic about the hot mess of a Thursday that we've both had so I think that you're just getting the front seat to what that experience is like. So let's dive straight in. Laurel, what have you been doing this week to try and build a connection, build um, build friendships, be socially engaged with the world around you? Well, on a, a slight side note before I say exactly what I have been doing, I was listening to, uh, this is like a sneak listening re- recommendation, I was listening to Pandora Sykes' How Do We Know We're Doing It Right in her most recent episode um is all about the loneliness economy and the there was a point right at the end which really stuck with me about friction and frictionless contact and how because we if we're waiting for our coffee in a queue or if we're queuing in the supermarket anything like that waiting for a bus we tend to look at our phones as the thing to distract us rather than looking up looking around us maybe trying to start up a conversation with the person beside us, which sounds so awkward and awful because we're not used to it. But yeah, it's just really stuck with me. So today when I went in to get my coffee, I really made a point of being like, and how are you all? When they were asking me how I am. And there was this split moment where I saw their faces be like, how, how, how are we all? And, and then it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this overly enthusiastic woman in our presence? Yeah, so anyway. That was just something that had stuck with me and the importance of connection, the importance of uh, seeking connection where we can, which takes me right to the thing that as we very thankfully in Sydney begin to think about emerging from our lockdown on Monday, I've been reflecting on the thing that's really been getting me through. And one of the main points of social connection that's been getting me through is continuing to virtually run with my running mates. So... Once a week, I 
normally would do park run which is an organized five kilometer run around a park it happens all over the world in various cities has been going for a long time and I've been going to one in Sydney for nearly three years now with um, two friends of mine who I one of them I definitely made through the park run because she was already running with our other mutual friend and yeah the three of us meet up every weekend we do our park run we have a bacon and egg roll afterwards I really do the park run for the bacon and egg roll and through lockdown we decided to make sure that we kept running together as it were and we also checked in a couple of times a week so we were running twice in the week and once on Saturday when we would normally do our park run and we also decided to try and challenge ourselves a little bit on distances but it's just meant that we've had such a regular point of contact with one another throughout this period and we've also been really encouraging and pushing one another to get outside to get ourselves moving and then at the end of each run we always send each other sweaty awful silly selfies and now I have this lovely collage in our message thread of all these selfies that we've sent each other and I'm quite tempted to sort of make a a, do a framed picture of this collage I think it would be really nice so yeah I think I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful for them and um, and for Parkrun. And if anyone has never tried a Parkrun, I would heartily endorse the experience. I've done it in cities when I've been away on work trips. When you're away on a, in a city that you don't know, that can be a bit isolating. You never need to worry about being slow or coming last because there's always a tail walker as well. So never worry about what kind of runner you are. But I just really, really recommend doing your Parkrun. I am also a park runner, not as dedicated as you are, but I used to go with my friend Samita in Tooting in London. And it was always Mm, a bit of a trek, but because there was a real group of people who would always turn up, I could just totally see the community thing. And then, you know, treat yourself to brunch afterwards. And, and I, like I was improving only slightly. I am not by any means a runner. Um, although I have entered the Melbourne, marathon 5k yes only the five but um which is now in december and i've not started doing Mm. any training for it so i need to really get myself geared up for that so you're my inspiration also i think you should make your parkrun friends maybe all a singlet with with the the collage of sweaty selfies that is a fantastic image and i just wanted to pick up on the thing you said about i don't consider myself a runner because i have really tussled with that in the last few years and I realized that I have been running semi-regularly probably for about eight years and yet I still wouldn't consider myself a runner mainly because in my mind a runner looks different to how I look and has probably run since they were prepubescent and can easily run a half marathon and runs it in a very specific time in a very specific way and I don't look like that and I don't run like that and yet three times a week I put on my trainers I get out the door And one of my favourite things to do is run. And so I have to at some point admit that perhaps indeed I am a runner. So um, yeah, just to that comment, I think a runner looks like all sorts of different things and can be all sorts of different kinds of people to consider yourself a runner. But what have you been up to, Sasha? So I've got a bit of a... Okay, so I've got two things. Um, I've signed up for an oil painting class starting in November 
absolutely love that for you. Yeah, which I'm really excited about. I'm doing it with a friend, but we've been talking about doing it all year. And then of course, every time that we went to actually do it, there'd be a lockdown, but we just made the commitment that we're going to go for it. Um, so I'm really hoping that that is going to be my re-entry, so to speak, like the queen of Sheba coming in, like into the social, social season. I'm here. I have my paints and I'm ready to, I'm, I'm ready to get the shading on these spheres exactly right and impress the whole room with my talents. <laughs> but I've got to say my, my genuine connection that I was reflecting, reflecting, reflecting on this week is right at the beginning of lockdown I was really struggling and I reached out to some Mm. school friends and um, we'd been chatting and zooming and obviously you know my my mental state was evident because one of my friends afterwards sent me a text and she said look if you're feeling lonely I've got a mutual friend he lives like a couple of suburbs away he's also a bit stuck in lockdown like do you he I've reached out to him he said he'd really love a walking Mm. buddy happy he doesn't have a job at the moment he's happy to come meet whenever it suits you just do a lap of the local park that I've got up the hill so we quite by quite like similar the way that we reconnected well we connected is um we just set up a time and then it just became Mm -hmm. a habit like every week we'd reach out be like hey it's tuesday do you want to do our regular walk on at 5 p.m and then last weekend we went and had a picnic um and met him and his partner and just had a really lovely saturday and it's like in this six or seven or eight weeks I don't know how long we've been locked down anymore I've lost track we've been for a walk every single week since lockdown pretty much began and now I have this new friend and we've got lots in common and you know I always have a great time I always feel really lifted so I think like in spite of so much of the conversation that's been happening at the moment has been like my life is on pause my life is on hold like I've been really guilty of this of thinking like how am I supposed to move forward Mm. in any way when I don't seem to have any like I can't make any tangible actions on any weekly basis but I think you know upon reflection this week I was like I have I've made a new friend like I've got someone new in my life and with them comes a whole Mm. other um you know world of of people to get to know and so I think like yeah I I think I just reflect on the fact that a I'm really lucky that the people who know me really well know to reach out and say do you want to hang like Mm -hmm. here's someone you can hang out with um and then also just that the friends I'm friends with have great friends (laughs) so it's like just that um that faith as well that the kind of people who I'm very close with would when they recommend someone as a great person to hang out with that that would also be um someone that I would get along with really well as well there are two things there that I am picking up on from from what you're saying and one is that your our lives move forward even when we're thinking that they're not or perhaps not in ways that we we expect them to it's kind of similar Mm. it's reminding me of the phrase of when people say you can have it all it just might not look exactly how you imagine it's gonna look or also the fact that you know we we came up with the idea for this podcast definitely completely separate from the idea that we might be sitting here both of us in lockdown and yet you have managed to not only make a social connection but as you say make a whole brand new friend despite all of the restrictions that we're experiencing and 
That is commendable, Sasha. Commendable. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like I haven't really done much to, um, you know, that's really very much luck. But I also think that I think at the moment, just like practicing, I'm sounding so woo-woo, but like just practicing that art of being like, I'm really thankful for this. I think this is really good. Like not everything is bad. Yeah, being open to what the universe open was going to bring to you, <laughs> Sasha, <laughs> aka your friends, to get real woo-woo. She was open to what the universe was going to give her. That's hey. what I think. And you know what? The universe gave me an Aperol spritz yesterday when we went on our walk and it was exactly what I needed. Um, they make an excellent takeaway Aperol spritz in a very large coffee cup that lasts nice. lasts practically the full lap of the tan. And I can highly oh. recommend it as a um, afternoon or weekend activity. So let's get on to like what we're consuming, the things let's that we're consuming. It. What have you been watching? What have I been watching? I watched Britney vs. Spears on Netflix last weekend. Oh, yes. And as someone who has been well and truly addicted to the Britney Spears saga, I think this is the best, the best piece of content that I have like read, watched, listen to surrounding the Britney saga and the reasons for that are they get access to people who I haven't heard interviewed in any other capacity they really they really present like what I thought quite a balanced viewpoint of the issues but also like um something I've been reflecting on a lot is like the whole (sighs) I mean, how do I, how do I succinctly put this into like just a minute or two, but the whole downfall or the whole reason for Britney's breakdown and downfall was because her life became a thing to be consumed by us. And I think it is like something that you have to really be careful of in the fact of this whole conservatorship um, uh, saga that it's not just history repeating itself. You know, we're not just like making this the second act or the second chapter of this book that we're all just like consuming as a as a story rather than a woman's life mm-hmm. but I did mm-hmm. think that the one of the and did you feel that sense of awareness as you were watching these things and stuff yeah okay, yeah and also um the the two kind of I guess like the two hooks though that make it really juicy is that they actually it's been made or one of the central kind of narrating figures is a Rolling Stones journalist who first met her when she was still just a teenager and who she did the first cover article for for the Rolling Stone um, magazine. The Teletubby photo shoot. I think so. And, And actually they built like quite a rapport. And so on several occasions, Brittany, um, like requested her to come back and do the interview again. And so she had kind of watched or had noticed from the outside her decline. And actually one of the stories that I hadn't heard before is that this journalist had been approached by a friend of Britney's to meet at this hotel. And it was one of the early attempts to try and like shake off the conservatorship because they like met in a hotel. Britney ran away from her bodyguards and they went to a hotel and she hid in the other stall and like fed her the documents underneath the stall. Um, doors and she recognized her by a tattoo it's like 
And that's the first time they've kind of talked about how many attempts there were for Britney to sign her own attorneys really quite early on in the piece. And they kind of do it mm-hmm. as opposed to other stuff that I watched, which is very much about the fact that she clearly had a mental breakdown and clearly like whether it was um, postnatal depression or, you know, or just the sheer like effects of the paparazzi, any of those things I think is completely justified. Mm-hmm. This one actually really focuses on the journey to get her out of this legal system. And they really talk about the fact that there have been quite a few concerted attempts by Brittany and the people who aren't involved in her family to get that and that they weren't successful. So I just think, and and it doesn't focus so much on the free Brittany. I, I think in some of the other things I've watched and read, um, the Free Britney spokespeople are quite prominent, but this one really is much more about the machinations of machinations mm-hmm. of how it all um, started to come undone. But yeah, I just find it an absolutely some of the stuff. I, I was spellbound by her testimony when it came out, um, when it was recorded earlier in the year. I just think any woman, especially mm-hmm. any woman in her thirties who's living on her own, who's in control of her own money, it's like literally kind of I think well not in control of her own money as the case may be oh I, yeah. I meant like I um you mean seeking control I meant like is s- making her own money I meant more the sense of like being a 30 year old who is in control of my own money who lives oh, right, on my yeah. own who is in control of my future she is kind of the representation of like your worst fears for me that's like she yeah. very much like what she's been living for 13 years is mm-hmm. um really like scary Anyway, it's fascinating and I think like now, I mean also ironically now that it's going to be a good news story um, like with the fact that it's being suspended and it seems to all be unraveling. um, Yeah, but I really enjoyed it. Well, I'm glad. There you go. Um, What have you been watching? (laughs) Well, I feel I hinted probably that I was eventually going to take this turn a couple of episodes ago when I said that Mm. I was comfort listening to uh, Fleetwood Mac albums but basically I've just dived headfirst into the 1970s specifically uh, documentaries surrounding the year 1971 obviously 50 years ago this year so there is a documentary which is a pivotal year in music which I will explain now so <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to be like I'll explain through the art of contemporary dance or like <laughs> My hand something along those lines I know you just look so poised and ready okay. to move so I first came across this this concept or discussion through the fact that Apple has a documentary series called 1971 the year that music changed everything and then I have been watching that series and really enjoying it and I would really recommend it but I want to couple it with having recently listened to this is not my listening recommendation I keep giving half listening recommendations to uh, the Slate's um, Hit Parade podcast and Chris Melanthi who hosts the Hit Parade podcast he's so he's the most knowledgeable music person Mm. of music that I have ever listened to and he he it's quite a heavily scripted style of podcast that he does and he basically does a he does two one hour episodes on a topic at a sort of at a time and he did a special a two episode special on the year 1971 so just to give you um yeah some background on that but the the documentary is eight episodes long 
um, which maybe could be too much, but I've really enjoyed it so far. I've just sort of got to halfway through the third episode, but there's just so much in every single one. The episode that I'm on now is the first one that's really looked at the UK because we're looking at David Bowie coming through. And the first two episodes really sort of paint a picture of anger. And this is a time of, I think, as millennials, we think of the 1970s as hippie and flower power but hippies and flower power were really the end of the 60s and as you reach the end of the 60s where the vietnam Mm. war is going on through end of the 60s into the early 70s so people are feeling incredibly disenfranchised they're feeling really angry they're seeking social change hippies are sort of over and they're confused people are confused and searching for something else and it's funny because there are lots of things about this year and about this period that still feel very relatable into today's social discourse and commentary you know people feeling disenfranchised searching for something else searching for meaning um turning away from the ideologies of their parents generation all of those kinds of things but also it's just this concentration of talent we're talking john lennon making his first solo solo stuff Joni mitchell carol king having i think one of the biggest albums that had happened since sergeant pepper had come out who else there was aretha franklin and it's just it's it's just mad, and I and I you're watching it, thinking, when else have we had this concentration of cultural genius all together in such a, sh- a small period of time? And the only other thing I could think of in a similar period of history as well would be in film, with the fact that there was that group of directors of like Francis Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, and they were all friends. Um, but the other thing it made me think of when I was trying to find these comparisons of cultural concentration was sort of novelists of you know the Brontes and things like that the fact that they all lived in one house together but they all came up with these brilliant books like it's just it blows my mind (laughs) well also 1920s Paris that's definitely when I would have gone back to hang around and get a couple of artworks maybe steal a couple of manuscripts you know hang around some of the French composers just be generally there that's my period of cultural malay when it would just all be <laughs> yeah that's where you're going back to yeah, the 1920s yeah. okay um, that sounds fascinating and i definitely want to check it out yeah it really it really is so the documentary series is 1971 the year that music changed everything and that's on apple tv but if you don't have apple tv i would really recommend listening to the two part podcast on hit parade which is also entitled 1971 and I'm sure it has a subtitle that I can't remember now off the top of my head I have just really enjoyed diving into that era and that world and would highly recommend it but as I hinted this is not my listening recommendation so I'm just going to commandeer and carry on and just say that how to fail with Elizabeth Day is a well-loved and well-known podcast Mm. But there are two episodes that I've listened to recently that have really stuck out to me. One is the episode that she did with Ruby Tando, who was a finalist on The Great British Bake Off, I think in 2011 or something like that. It was quite a while ago now. Mm -hmm. But she was very young when she was on Great British Bake Off. She was weirdly loathed for sort of having imposter syndrome on camera and her doubting herself, but then being really, really successful in her bakes. And people just really took against that as as people do and but Mm. she's come out with this new cookbook which is all about I don't know I love to buy a cookbook but I often find that they just end up sitting on the shelf because there are too many ingredients it's too complicated and she 
makes a really good point that not everyone is a sort of hobby level cook and some people just want to be able to go to the cupboard and feel inspired and she's really tried to approach it in that way whilst also very intentionally taking away the sort of photography stylized element of the cookbook and she's had it illustrated instead which I just think is really beautiful and it looks lovely so I'm thinking I might have to get my hands on that. The other episode of How to Fail that I really wanted to recommend was the Stanley Tucci episode which has just dropped in the last couple of days and uh, the absolute thirst magnet that is Stanley Tucci making a cocktail because oh my goodness he's so funny but then also speaks so beautifully about grieving his first wife and um her death to to cancer and it's just yeah it's a really really good episode so my watching and my listening recommendations yeah I thought I'd listen to all the Stanley Tucci content in the world but there's more. There's more. there's more. Um, this isn't my listening recommendation, but if you are a fellow Stanley fan, his love stories with our Lord and Saviour Dolly Alderton is also a really beautiful listen. And I think it's because he combines, you talked about it just then, but I can't help but add my two cents. He's got this really unique combination of romanticism and pragmatism because I think he's gone through such an extraordinary grief Mm. because he was widowed. He just seems to have this way Mm -hmm. of like talking about like losing love in this really kind of beautiful and artistic sense. But at the same time, he's just like very pragmatic about it and it's a really interesting it makes him all the more intriguing as a car- as a person out there in the world talking about his life in this like highly intimate way but I just I find him really admirable and I find I always learn a lot when I listen to him talk <laughs> about anything yeah I couldn't agree more and I loved his total bafflement at becoming a bit of a thirst object in the last uh, year or so over his Negroni making and he said it it was it blew my mind that I'd spent all of these years trying to build a career for myself and in the end it was a short video of me being myself not acting you know yeah I had confidence about myself because I knew what I was doing but there's also sort of an awkwardness to it and that's what people went for. Him just being himself. Yeah. What I'd... an achievement. <laughs> I mean, I think there's a not so subtle lesson in there for us all, but I'm going to choose to skate right over it. So I've been listening to, um, and I'm going to just bring it up on my phone so I can get the title right. It was one of those situations where I'd been recommended this podcast forever. Then I went to try it. And the episode at the top of the feed was that podcast recommending another podcast have you ever been in that kind of inception before because it's um so I went to try cautionary tales which is by Pushkin I want to say um like a production house called Pushkin yeah but -hmm. then the episode that I tried which was at the top which is called a cautionary tale of Kubrick and the pain of rejection is actually one of Pushkin's other podcasts, um, which I think is called like The Art of Happiness or something. You know, I have one of those moments about five minutes in where I'm like, ah, do I go back and try and do something else to give it myself a genuine shot or I just persist with this? And I'm really glad that I did. Basically, it's it's presented as a guide of how to get over rejection. 
and the oh, way they tell well I know and the way that they tell the story is that they use this man who was an actor and he was cast in a role that eventually won an Oscar for that actor in a Stanley Kubrick film so what happens is that he gets put out I'm, I'm hopefully not ruining too much but he gets flown out it was filmed in Vietnam I think um but he gets flown out his character is like quite antagonistic so the whole production crew keep him separate from all the other actors basically he's just living in this hotel room on his own but meanwhile like another extra starts like improvising on set and like doing stuff and basically takes his role from him so he's been in isolation preparing to be on set in like another two weeks and what an amazing break for that extra but how I know and it was also the the first big break for this actor as well so essentially like he gets shuffled around this film three or four times like basically like you're in it no you're not oh we cut all your scenes oh we re-edited the film oh no like now you're this part and so he he's talking about it and then he says like for like 30 years afterwards people come up to me and they would recognize me and they're like you were in that movie and he'd go yeah did you know and he said the first thing I would say is did you know I was supposed to be this other character and he said like it took me a really long time to let go of the frustration and the pain of not having my original vision and he's like I'm still in an Oscar winning movie Mm. like I still worked with Kubrick and so then what they do is they like get a doctor to come and talk about studies that they've done on people who've had heartbreak and the similarities between that and like genuine um, heart and stomach pains and like there's I can't remember it all but the key that I remembered that I've been really Mm. thinking about because I think everyone I don't think I'm shocking anyone here everyone struggles with rejection and everyone feels rejected and that can be like from a job or for from heartbreak or from whatever circumstance but he says in the immediate aftermath of the rejection write down the things that you know to be true about yourself and they can be as direct as I am beautiful or they can be I am confident I am good at my job I am talented at making friends I am very good at being positive Mm. I am whatever they might be and he said write them down and stick them in a place that you can see them and every time those feelings of rejection start to surface or start to be triggered you go and look at the list and you remind yourself of like the Mm. truest thing the ones on that piece of paper that Mm. you believe with no um, qualification and he said they could be really sorry if you could come up with them in that moment of rejection they are the things that you know at your sort of gut level to be true yeah well he said also actually rejection is so much about the storytelling that you tell yourself so it's like Mm. it's like you're allowing someone to tell you that you're lesser than in one aspect and he says like actually you might be like you might be not that good at this Mm But if you can counteract those feelings in the immediate moment, you won't hold on like this guy did with a Kubrick film. Instead of being like, well, the guy who played that part ended up winning an Oscar. It's like if you'd just gone and been like, but I'm in a Kubrick film. 
Like, so it's so like trying to remind yourself and ground yourself in the facts that are true, that you don't need any like evidence to the contrary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like he said, it's a really powerful way to move through rejection. And they also do like a really fascinating study about how um, they like got people who'd been broken up with to actually take a paracetamol or like actually take heart tablets and like it did like there was there's all this fascinating evidence of like actual physical pain being experienced but I just found it the most interesting episode and it was like quite pragmatic I always love advice that's just so scientific and it's so like try these things write this list do these activities do them repetitively if they still don't work then like maybe go seek someone else's opinion but like you know usually by the time it's ended up on a well-regarded podcast Mm. it kind of is gonna work you know so Mm. yeah I that sounds fascinating I I really like the sound of this podcast I think yeah this is one to note down yeah for sure and I think at a time like in like it hasn't really happened to me so much now but I know last year I had like a lot of holidays that got cancelled a lot of things that never happened because Mm. borders got closed a lot of like yeah you know concerts and events and holidays and stresses and and it is so easy to focus on all of those things isn't it rather than yeah what did happen and yeah yeah Yeah, I think that's that's really true and so I think like this is something that I think I got through last year and it was fine and I'm obviously not um (laughs) still talking about how I didn't win my Oscar but I do think like that that there were some things in that that I'm going to take with me for a really long time yeah and to take it into the I guess the obvious sort of romantic area as well it is so it is such good and clear advice. It seems so obvious, but it's actually really hard to do to not carry the baggage of the rejection when a romantic relationship breaks down and to not take the rejection, the perceived rejection of a romantic relationship ending into your next relationship and therefore having an impact on your next relationship. That is really difficult. And yet, it's that thing of, but I didn't need to do that to myself. I didn't need to spend those months, maybe years, making those assumptions of my new partner that I was carrying from my previous relationship. Yeah, and I think it's, I I hope it's something that as I move into my 30s, I'm getting, and and this is why I really like this podcast too, because I think... um, I think in your 20s like you're learning to deal with a lot of this rejection and you're learning to try and like really understand who you are you know but like at the end of the day I feel like now when I feel rejected it's a lot harder in some ways because it's like I ain't gonna change Mm. I would like to be more punctual I would like to have less frizzy hair but um you know it's just, I'd like to look good in hipster jeans. I mean, that's what 13-year-old Sasha really fought against for a long time. Like, those jeans were rejecting me. They yes, were, like, so talking right. about Britney Spears. It's like... They were rejecting us. They were just like... Else. I was talking about this with friends at the weekend. It's like, there's Woo. some hips here, and I don't want them in my, like, flight path. 
But I think, you know, I spent a lot of my teenage years being like focused on how to change large portions of who I am it's so it is like that double-edged sword because the more the older you get the more you're like oh this doesn't work with who I am as an individual I can adjust my expectations I can Mm. work actively to improve those things but the likelihood of me dramatically changing from a curvy short woman into the Britney Spears poster mm-hmm. that I definitely had at 12. It's just not going to happen, whether it be my personality, my temperament, or my physical shape. So I think like that's where these kind of things of like moving through rejection as opposed to desperately willing like physics to change. <laughs> yeah, well, it's all, but what you're talking about is also like your relationship with yourself almost the way that you were rejecting yourself as a teenager Mm. to embrace the fact that no but this is who I am this is Mm. who I am and and she's all right (laughs) she's all that as that famous movie I'm gonna quickly jump into my reading because there's a direct connection please do I really I'm aware um as I'm talking that it seems like I've been if you're going to draw a straight line through all my recommendations this week, you might be concerned about me, but I'm really only sharing these things because... She's smiling. I promise she's smiling. And I'm only sharing these things because I think I do feel absolutely fine. So uh, last week I talked about poetry and this is another book of poetry. Oh. I know that I went on a big tangent about how I hate poetry. No, but then you've really opened my eyes to... I feel like I'm taking in the poetry around me. That sounds ridiculous. But if seeing poetry on Instagram Mm. or like I just started a new book yesterday and there's a poem by Rilke in the front of it and it's beautiful. My microphone is currently on the book. Otherwise, I would be quoting the poem to you now probably or at least telling you which one it is. But yeah, considering we were both like poetry. poetry. Um, So I should qualify. This is by a poet, but it's actually... The book is called Consolations, The Solace, Nourishment and Underlying Meaning of Everyday Words. And it's by David White. And I bought it in the middle of last year. He's an Irish poet. So he writes a lot of poetry, but this one is actually just like, it's a whole bunch of words that he's chosen. And then he's written his own prose about his new definitions for them. And they're all, and it says everyday words. They're kind of like, yeah, different variations of like, terms like that we'd all encounter mainly emotions and I think I I my mom sent me a YouTube reading of him reading one of these I think or it might no it was one of his poems in the middle of lockdown when I was locked in London last year and that led to a big conversation in our family and I ordered this book off the back of that because it had been recommended Mm. and it um by a couple of people So this is where you go, oh, so the chapter on heartbreak I read again this week because I just think, and I'm just going to read you a couple of lines because I just think it's one of the most beautiful things. Heartbreak begins the moment we are asked to let go but cannot. In other words, it colors and inhabits and magnifies each and every day. Heartbreak is not a visitation but a path that human beings follow through even the most average life. Heartbreak is an indication of our sincerity in a love relationship, in life's work, 
in trying to learn a musical instrument in the attempt to shape a better, more generous self. Heartbreak is the beautifully helpless side of love and affection and is just as much an essence and emblem of care as the spiritual athlete's quick but abstract ability to let go. Heartbreak has its own way of inhabiting time and its own beautiful and trying patience in coming and going. And there's a beautiful phrase that I'm just looking for here. Oh, yeah. Even the longest marriage has had its heart broken many times just in the many acts of staying together. And I just think it's like just the most. (laughs) Oh, I know. And it's just a book of that. And every time I open it and read something, but that phrase in particular, even the longest marriage has had its heart broken many times, just in the many acts of staying together. Because I think that's like, it's just that art of compromise. I think also what I really like and, and, you know, you know, so many weddings you go to and people do readings and you're like, love is too, you know, and you just go, yeah, this is so boring. Love does not alter. (laughs) Um, Give me another sonnet. (laughs) But I think like this is for me, um, the way he writes about that, it sees heartbreak as a state to move through. It's a state that alters you as opposed to a noun or an adjective that like happens to Mm. you so I think like I really love like when we're you know it brings me back to what I was talking about like right at the beginning of the podcast it's like that art of framing your own decision seeing pain in any compromise whether seeing pain in any like instance Mm. whether it be like my terrible piano practice at the moment where I cannot get the scales right like that is a small moment of heartbreak every day when I'm like why don't my fingers do the things versus like major life events that like your trajectory has been massively altered and you really have to pick yourself up and and go in a completely new direction I, I just love the way he makes me think about things Sasha, you have brought the recommendations this week. I'm just you like, absolutely bam, brought it. Bam, and I bam. loved every single one of them. I truly have. I I want this book in my life. I really, yes. really do. It sounds gorgeous. It is. It's really gorgeous. And um, I've recommended it to a couple of people because I think, yeah, especially if you're someone who enjoys as I do, to just sit and think sometimes, which is like very conceited. But yeah, it's always, I always find myself traveling with David when I read his stuff. Yeah, I feel like it really opens up parts of my brain. But I also really like that it, in the way that he's talking about heartbreak there, it really makes it feel like it's okay to be a person who experiences big emotions and big feelings. And there's two people who I imagine, if I may speak so freely, do feel big feelings and experience the world in quite probably an overly romantic way in capital R romance in terms of, you know, if the sun is shining, it's really shining. And if it's raining, it's really raining. And it's, it makes me think it's okay. Yeah. It's okay that I'm like that. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, We've got other episodes. We could talk about that in other future episodes. I want to know what you're reading. Tell me what you're reading. Okay, so I was on a bit of a classics bent um, for the last few weeks, and I took a little bit of a break from that and had a 
bit of an easy read. So I feel like I'm really winding us back from our intellectual conversation about heartbreak and someone making their own sort of definitions of different terms and words and making us think and provoking thought. Uh, making think, making us think and provoking thought is exactly the same thing. So I read a novel called A Man Called Ove, which has been out probably for about five or six years now. It's by a Swedish writer and it's about a very grumpy older man called Ove, or I think think probably over. Anyway, he's about an older gentleman. He's incredibly grumpy. At first, I felt so grumpy that I couldn't believe his character and it was irking me a little bit. But slowly through the novel, you peel back all of these layers and really what this book is about is the importance of community. And as we've discussed, the importance of social connection, especially through a period of lockdown, I just thought this really struck a chord with me and what we discuss on the podcast anyway. I think, yeah, the importance of social connection, of speaking to your neighbours and that your sense of purpose can come from all sorts of directions and quite often directions that you never anticipated and perhaps even intentionally were not looking for. And so this book that I had seen lots of people talking about on social media and saying, oh, it was so lovely and I love Ove and all of this kind of stuff. And I thought, no, because then my refusenic nature comes into play. And I think this isn't going to move me. I don't care. It'll just be a light read and I'll pass through. Well, I will tell you, Sasha, that when I finished this book, I was sobbing, crying, (laughs) sobbing, crying. It was beautiful and I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I read it in a weekend, basically. So I'd really, it was an easy read and I'd, and I'd recommend it. Fantastic. I wanted to just touch base about a next week's episode and give everyone a bit of a heads up. Yes, we should. Because we should give a heads I've up I've already for that. decided to change our music selection, Laurel. So the plan next week is that Laurel and I have both read in the last week the new Sally Rooney novel. Yes, we have. Mm-hmm. It's also... Um, as anyone who follows us on Instagram or has listened to any of these episodes knows that we're both massive Ted Lasso fans and tomorrow is the season finale of Ted Lasso. Big feelings, big feelings coming from the pair of us. And Adele is releasing her new album soon, Laurel. And I did not know that and my jaw just I know, fell on and the desk. I think we should make that the music choice because she is our Let's age. Let's do it. So yeah, because there are so many things happening that overlap or have happened recently in terms of Sally Rooney's publication, we felt like it would be a great moment to have an episode where we we both did the same thing and really gave ourselves maximum time to to really ramble even more than usual and discuss all of these big cultural phenomenons of the moment. Yeah, so we're going to put some things on Instagram because we want to hear your thoughts and feelings. So if you want to follow us, make sure you go to Instagram, look for Three Wheeling Podcast is our handle. At Three Wheeling Pod. At Three Wheeling Pod. I should definitely know our own Instagram or send us an email, threewheelingpod at gmail.com. If you really like us, we haven't asked this before. Go to your podcast player and give us a rating or a review. Five stars, please. If you hate us, like, just stop listening. Stop. Why did you get this far? Go go find something else. Five stars only. Five stars only. Subscribe. Um, And until next time, Laurel. Until next time. Bye. Goodbye.